Welcome to the Brilliance Resilience Podcast with the Bupa Foundation, a sharing dish of stories and tips from resilient superstars and their friends. Hi, I'm Alex and I'm the chair of the Bupa Foundation. And I'm Paula, hello, and I'm one of the trustees of the Bupa Foundation. It's time to talk day on the 4th of February, which I just think could not have come at a better time personally. I don't know about you, Paula. I think it's great that we've got a day to focus on it, Alex. Um, Of course, every day should be a time to talk, but it's good that we're drawing people's attention to it with a special day. Yeah. And how about you? How are you feeling at the moment? I know I'm just feeling really grossy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm actually feeling pretty low and it surprised me. Uh, I thought I'd be used to all of this sort of in and out of lockdown by now and working from home and so on. But actually, this time has hit me harder, I think, than than previous times. Yeah. And I think, you know, starting to cycle some of the, you know, the milestones of last year. And I think, you know, we all benefited from denial being in that, you know, denial that it was going to last as long as it has. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly finding that the schooling side of things is, is a lot more now. You know, the second lockdown, the kids were still in school this time they're doing it from home and the schools definitely seem to have got their acts together in terms of what they're expecting but certainly one of my kids has got his act together about how to avoid it as well so it can make it can make it difficult and you know I I see it with the people that I'm I'm working with as well and you realize just how much you miss seeing people in 3D and you know being able to talk you know without it being through a screen. I agree. Uh, Lots of people I know are really struggling with homeschooling this time around, particularly where both partners are working and they're finding that a challenge. I think the other thing that I've noticed is we are exhausted by this now. And some of that sort of camaraderie and team spirit that was so evident in the first lockdown is pretty much gone now, I think. and, And we're all just worn out by it. Yeah. So, I mean, I I certainly know that I find sort of even just sharing some of that with somebody and realising, you know, you're not the only one who's feeling that way, particularly as it can feel like you can feel really guilty about even moaning about it when, you know, people who were on the front line, whether it's front line in health or care or front line, you know, just in the, the supermarkets or the you know, those people who are having to go out and about. But I think it's it's probably just natural that we're all feeling like this at the moment. Yeah, I think we all are. And I think it's, you're right, so some of us feel guilty. I feel a bit guilty now and again, think I've got no right to feel down about it. But actually, this is affecting all of us, all of us in different ways. And so, yeah, we are justified in, in feeling a bit fed up. I also think sometimes I have to think really carefully about who I share stuff with because I don't want to sort of unload my burden and hand that on to somebody else. Um, and that can also be difficult when you know other people are struggling. Finding someone that, that you feel that you can just be completely open with can be hard. Yeah. Well, what is it? A problem shared is a problem halved. I'm not sure the problem gets halved, but I, I think just, yeah, feeling feeling a bit more known can, can, can be good. But we've all had to learn resilience. And I was thinking about when you and I first talked about even putting this podcast series together who would have thought that all these months on we're still doing them virtually and just how much we need the the tips and tricks that the people that we're talking to are giving us 
I completely agree. I, th I thought this was one of your short-lived amazing ideas that, that we'd, we'd worked through a few months and, and it would be done and dusted. And here we still are, Alex. But the thing that I'm, I'm learning through this process is just how helpful it is to talk and to listen, you know, to hear other people's experiences. I think it's just really, really helpful. For me, one of the techniques to kind of make myself kind of, you know, get, get out of my doldrums can be to to actually listen to someone else. So we've been talking about it being good to talk, but actually I think it's also kind of really good to listen. And when you kind of put yourself in the shoes of some other people, quite often you come away thinking, actually, maybe my shoes aren't so bad after all. Although I have to say my shoes are not shoes at the moment, they're slippers. I can't remember the last time I wore shoes. How sad is that? Look at, I wear, wear trainers or boots to go out walking and that's it. Today, Paula and I are delighted to be joined by two inspirational people who've both got incredible experience of helping people with mental health conditions get the support they need. Stephen Buckley is Mind's Head of Information. He oversees their award-winning mental health treatment and support information. This includes their fantastic helplines, which support over 100,000 people each year, and their online mental health support services. Antonio Ferreira is a student from Northwest London, currently studying at the University of Essex. His peers describe him as hardworking and driven. Antonio was diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was just 16, and now at 22, he's a mental health and digital health ambassador and a lived experience consultant for MIND. Thank you so much for being with us today, Stephen and Antonio. So it's great to have you both with us. And clearly the topic of mental health of teens and young adults is incredibly important. And Stephen, you and your team have supported thousands of people. Antonio, you've been very open about your own personal experience. I wondered, perhaps, Antonio, we could start with you. Would you be willing to share a bit about what it's like for you and your story? So as you mentioned, um, I was first diagnosed when I was 16 years old. However, how I came about um, being diagnosed was I was referred um, from advice from my high school because I used to get into a lot of confrontations with teachers and friends in high school. So I was, I was, well, my parents were advised that they should um, refer me to Child Adolescent Mental Health Service um, on the basis of the behaviour they had noticed um, when I had gotten to the Child Adolescent Mental Health Service. It, was a, it wasn't so straightforward schizophrenia. I went through a lot of questionnaires and just trying to find out what was happening. I think even my diagnosis went from being ADHD to bipolar to even when it did arise to around schizophrenia, there was a lot of acute and transient psychotic disorders, polymorphic disorders, dissociative disorders. So it was a lot of not sure what is going on or where it's coming from. Where it stemmed from, I guess, well, what I, I believe to as I look back on it now is the pressure I had going on during my GCSE. So this was um, during my GCSE exams. I, I'm the youngest brother out of five brothers. So I always felt as if I had drawn the short straw out of everyone and that everything was left to me now to accomplish the most and, you know, bring up the most I can, I can um, out of what I was doing. As you mentioned, I was always considered a hardworking and driven individual. So with all these pressures in mind, I added more pressure on myself and gave myself really high standards that I guess as well would be detrimental if I never ever found myself achieving them. In that sense as well, I became really stressed out. I started suffering from 
what is now pseudo seizures to the point where it, it got to the stage the, the way I thought I would manage it was to if I'm if I can't deal with it there I'll just take myself out of it so that I don't have to deal with it and so from there that's when sort of my mental health hit its peak um, I ended up being in section in hospital for two years after um, tra- attempting to take my life away and um, I mean from that I guess that's how it started and how it stemmed is the pressure the expectations the standards I set myself and then after that it was I mean it was a very difficult period it wasn't nothing that I would say was you know easy to overcome it's not something that you deal with with just a paracetamol or a neurofen or ibuprofen it's nothing in that sense but a lot of people would tell me that this is something that will either make or break you and you simply can't let it break you more than it has already so I guess in that sense it gave me also time to analyze what was going around me sometimes you take yourself away from the environment that's causing you so much stress and you look around and you try to put things together and you realize a lot of it didn't make sense in the time you thought it was making sense and I guess that's what comes with schizophrenia your perception of reality is altered it's not what it should be along with also hearing um, auditory hallucinations at that time I'd get a lot of commands you know I was really paranoid I'd walk past a group of people who had nothing to do with me and I'd assume or at least be told by these voices that they were talking about me or they were laughing about me and that I had to do something about it or if I didn't it would make me feel like a really bad person that would just be a very vicious cycle I was stuck in but like I said it wasn't nothing that you know I was going to overcome overnight and that's something I had to come to terms with it, especially when I first went into um, hospital I, I completely knew where I was and where I was going I just didn't know how it would be like and how long I would end up there for so I guess all of that I guess I didn't just try to use that um, experience that I was going through, that time, that hardship that I was going through to motivate myself to doing what I'm doing today. And that's, as a lot of people know, mental health is something that is being spoken about and is being widely recognised. But I always think two things of that. One, it's only being recognised by people who have experience of mental health, whether it's directly or indirectly. And two, I also believe it's not a diverse amount of people that are speaking about their mental health so me as a young black male I don't think there is a lot of people that are actually opening up about their mental health where they might actually be struggling as 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 much as I was so I guess I just yeah I used that sort of experience and this is in the long run of from 16 to 22 now just to figure out my purpose and what I wanted to do with myself I guess back then I even wanted to be a doctor I wanted to go on to study medicine now, as you said, I'm a student studying psychology and neuroscience. So these experiences, I guess, come into place, in my opinion, at least to shape what the future really holds for you rather than what you think it will hold for you, if you see what I mean. It's incredibly generous of you to, to, to share that story. And as you say, I think one of the things that needs addressing is actually the stigma around talking about mental health and and for somebody who's actually had the experience you've had to be representing is so important. So it, thank you for doing that. And it's um, it's very it's very brave of you, actually. And I have to say, Antonio, listening to you, that the degree of, of kind of tenacity and resilience and positivity that you're applying to your um, circumstances is really remarkable. I wonder if you even know how remarkable you are. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I'll say thank you for, for the compliments and the praise. Um, 
But I mean, I guess this is something I do hear a lot without sort of sounding big headed. But I mean, a lot of people around me, really important people around me have said to me, you are, you have such a inspirational role in people's lives. You like, you know, all these semantics, but I think to me, it's more so just in my heart, I feel that it's a feeling of relief because I went through what I went through, but I didn't just go through it and move on with it. I went through it and used it to start something else. And this is where all the volunteering comes into it as well, the things I do for mine. I've got lots of questions for you, Antonio, but I'd, I'd like to pause for a second and bring Stephen in. So Stephen, you and your team support thousands of people with their mental health every year and and just do an extraordinary job. I think this must have been a particularly difficult year. I think there have been particular challenges and I know that MIND has quite a, a good insight into that. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about uh, what MIND has been seeing and doing this year as we've been working through this pandemic. Yeah, 2020 has been a year like no other, hasn't it? We've certainly seen sort of um, a very different usage of the services that MIND offer over the last few months. Uh, and it's also been sort of really interesting to see how uh, people have used the services in different ways as we've we've, we've gone over the, the last few months and gone through lockdown. And then as we've moved through the summer and then entered back into schools, going back in the autumn and, uh, uh, and lockdown again. Um, it has been really, really interesting. And we've also done a bit of sort of survey and research into how people have, have found the, the last few months in terms of their mental health. Uh, and we've certainly seen sort of a, a general sort of worsening of uh, everyone's uh, mental health as, as lockdown has, has taken hold. I think particularly we saw with younger people around two thirds of young people reported that their mental health had got worse, uh, got worse during the, um, the first lockdown. Uh, and I think it was really interesting to hear Antonio talk about kind of the pressure he put on himself to, to succeed, because I, I think one of the things that we saw through the research was uh, young people putting pressure on themselves to do well in their exams, to, to do well at school, all those things that, you know, that for years and years young people have been told are really important things to, to do well at. And all of a sudden, it was a very different message. You know, school, schools weren't available, exams were, were, were changed or, or, or cancelled in, in some instances. And I think that was a really difficult message to hear for young people. And I think I can broaden that out a little bit. Because I think what else we found was that young people were having decisions made for them uh, by adults, but not really having any kind of say or, or, or means of comeback on those decisions. And those decisions were having sort of real and profound impacts on their life. You know, we heard that the, the loss of contact with friends was, was hugely important, uh, particularly for people who perhaps had a, a relationship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That was incredibly difficult for young people. We heard that things like not being able to take part in organised or competitive sports or, or other kind of activities that you might do with your friends, that was incredibly important. Uh, and that loss was really felt by young people. We also heard, generally speaking, that boredom was a factor, being stuck at home was not good for young people's mental health. Uh, and the other thing that we, we always need to bear in mind is that for, for many young people who had got a pre-existing mental health problem and perhaps were in contact with services, they found it perhaps a little harder than they usually would to, to access those services uh, earlier in the year. And that too had a, a negative impact on mental health. So, so the last few months has definitely had a huge impact on, on young people. Yeah, I think lots of, lots of healthcare services, both 
mental health services, but also traditional physical health services are also seeing this and seeing this increase. A couple of things come to my mind. So the first is, despite lots in the press and in the news and, and huge efforts to reduce the stigma associated with mental health conditions, there are still a huge number of people who don't come forward, who don't reach out and ask for health, help for whatever reasons. And I'm wondering what your experience of that is, but also how, how you would encourage people who are struggling or grappling or even just trying to understand uh, if they have a problem or not what advice you'd give them about how to reach out uh, and get some help? Yeah, it's, you know, d- despite everyone's best efforts, I mean, there's been a huge shift in attitude over the last 10, 15 years as, as when it comes to mental health. Campaigns like Time to Change, you know, quite a number of high-profile celebrities speaking about mental health, uh, shifts in government policy, a little bit more general media profile uh, about mental health. You know, despite these quite big shifts, Stigma is still very real for many people. And every year or so, we sort of do a little bit of an evaluation of, of the services that Mind are offering. And there's one stat that, that really sort of leaps out to me, and I look for it most years sort of first thing. And it's the length of time people wait between thinking they might need help and asking for that help. And it's, it's pretty consistent year on year for us. We, we find it's somewhere between 40 and 50% of people wait more than six months between thinking they might need some help and asking for some help. That's an incredible amount of time, isn't it? And I do think that that kind of speaks to the sort of, you know, the stigma, the uncertainty, the worry that people are still grappling with, even if they know things aren't quite right for them. Um, And I think it's important to sort of make the point, you know, it's always okay to ask for help. Even if you're not even sure if you've got a mental health problem, it's always, you know, okay to check in and and find out a bit more and, and sort of, you know, find out what is happening for you. I think there are a number of things as well that people can think about when they are looking for help. And partly that is, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be a doctor's appointment. There are, there are lots of organisations, you know, Mind is, is one of them, and there are other charities where you can sort of approach uh, and ask some questions about mental health. Uh, and Mind and other organisations might be able to steer you on, on, the, on the next step of your journey. It might even be as straightforward as just having a conversation with a friend, sharing how you're feeling, if there are things that are worrying you more than normal or things that are playing on your mind. Potentially just a chat with a friend might actually be quite helpful for you. But, you know, for some people, a a conversation with your GP can be a really important step. Uh, And there are ways in which you can prepare for that conversation. You know, you you don't have to go into that, that appointment cold. You can make some notes of the questions you want to ask. You can perhaps have kept a diary of with how you've been feeling for the previous few weeks and, and take that in and have that to hand when, when you talk to your talk to your GP. So there are a number of, sort of means that people can explore when it comes to getting help. But I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to ask for help if you think you need it. You know, it's one of those situations where the, the sooner you seek support, perhaps the, the, the better it will be in the long run. So do ask for help if you think you need it. Thanks, Stephen. I think that's so important and, and a really great message for you to be passing on, because I think even now, as you say, with the increased awareness and, and hopefully some degree of reduced stigma, we still have this pervasive message. And maybe I should be personal about this. I still have this feeling that I ought to be able to cope. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like that. And maybe that's part of the reason for the delay in, in reaching out. Potentially, that's a reason. And, and we know that kind of 
that idea of sort of self-sufficiency is 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 perhaps more pronounced in men where there are perhaps even more significant barriers to sort of seeking help with a mental health problem the idea that that men should be able to fix their own problems that perhaps uh, going to talk to your doctor that you've not been feeling quite yourself is a sign of weakness or or anything like that so yeah there are some other sort of factors at play uh, and you know it, it can feel like a big step but it's a really important first step to make um, and things might get better for you quite quickly after that. I want to turn to Antonia now. Hey, Antonia. I know you'll have heard this before, but I have to say it again, how important it is that you are speaking to people and that people have the opportunity to hear your story and your experience. I think it's absolutely critical and you. I think you're probably really, really used to it now, but I know that it's a brave thing to do. And it's important for people who maybe struggling with their own challenges, but actually it's important for people who are not, because I think listening to your experience helps people have a greater understanding and hopefully um, a greater empathy and awareness and so on. So thank you is the first thing I want to say. But actually, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your experience with regard to your relationships. You know, how, how and from whom have you got support as you've been going on your journey? Um, and what advice would you give to people as to how to, I guess, be a good friend in these sorts of situations and, and be a good supporter? Yeah, it, I mean, at the peak of my mental health, I'll tell you what, I had a lot of friends around me. I, don't, I wouldn't say they all understood, but I did have a lot of friends around me. Um, one thing I always mention is that these, this vast amount of friends that I always had around me, as time went by, they became one, two people at the end. But in that sense, relationships for me in, at the peak of my mental health was really hard to maintain because you went from being this hardworking, driven individual to all of a sudden being at his lowest point and not finding a way out of what he was going through. So a lot of, a lot of people sort of left me behind or, you know, pushed me behind because there was like, well, he's got to sort that out by himself sort of thing. And I think that as well comes with the whole um, men's mental health stigma as well. It's like, you know, he has to pick himself up. He has to sort it out. He has to, do you know what I mean? And um, like I said, yeah, the, the peak times, are, the relationships are really difficult. But however, in, in contrast to that, I will say as well, I was also very quick to shut out some of my friends as well. On the top of my head is about four or five friends that I assumed had sort of left me behind and went on to do what they were doing. But what I then learned from that was a very valuable lesson in this that sometimes I'm going to go through something, but my friends are also going to go through something. And we can't both just sit together, you know, complaining about what we're going through. At the end of the day, the sun will come up tomorrow and the next day. So we've got to sort of be able to move forward. And again, like I said, and I mentioned at the start, I thought I got left behind, but now I believe no one gets left behind. I think everyone just moves at different pace. So while I was moving very slow, the rest of my friends had to carry on moving on with their lives because we couldn't all just, you know, hold back just for my issues that I was going through. I mean, of course, I would have loved that, but that's also selfish of me in that sense. So that space that they gave me to sort of analyse, look, they had to also continue with their lives. It it meant more to me than at the time when I saw them sort of, or I perceived them leaving me behind because now that, you know, that I tell my story and, and express um, how I felt and stuff like that, I see a lot of them coming back into my life now and saying, you know what, it was only going to go one or two ways. You was either going to stay where you was or you was going to see the better for yourself sort of thing because you had a lot to give. And now um, these friends that I speak so highly of, 
they're they're the ones really giving me the support that I like. You know what? You need to keep doing this. You need to keep going. Sometimes I'm stopped in the middle of the road by friends I've not seen in years, and they're like, you know what? I've seen what you're doing online. Keep doing it. It's inspirational. And I'm like, where did you see this? You know what I mean? And but it is amazing. And again, like I said, the the support comes from those friends. Maybe also, sorry, new friends as well that want to support what's going on or in the same sort of situation. My family as well. And I tell you what, my family, especially my parents, weren't always the most supportive. They always found like like really skeptical. Oh, why are you telling people your story? You know, people are gonna think this of you and stuff like that. But I guess that's one of my goals as well in telling my story that my parents will look at it and think, you know what, it was actually a good thing he told his story because look at now what's come out of it rather than you know that program that they're used to of you know you don't tell people what's going on with you they're going to look at you like this or they're going to shun you and stuff like that so in that sense there's the relationships with my family my parents which has improved there's the relationships with my friends which has improved so all in all when I do think about the things that I'm doing and telling for mental health I have not spotted anything that I should ever feel in regret or feel down for doing out of it so it's only I think from here it's only been one one way up Telling your story certainly, certainly is helping people, and I'm sure you know that. Do you think that sometimes people retreat from relationships because they just don't know what to do? They don't know how to offer support? And if you think that's true, what advice would you give people? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think there was, there was a few times for me as well where, you know, my friends, they thought, oh, look, he, I know he's got this, this issue he's dealing with right now, but let's not make him feel any different than he is. Let's just carry letting him do what he was doing and, you know, let's not stop him or say, oh, yo, you need to calm down or anything like that. But in that sense, as though, it, it was still quite detrimental because these things that I was, or my friends were allowing me to still do were what's called bad habits at the time. So, I mean, it's difficult. And I've been explaining this so many times. It's like sometimes you're in this, in this situation where it's like, wow, like you really want to help him, but you can't encourage bad habits along with this because that could also just be detrimental in the long run. So my advice, I guess, would be is just, I mean, it's 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 very dependent on the person. I, I say what helped for me, and for me, it was that space to sort of, you know, appreciate what I had lost and then work out how I was going to regain that. That was what helped me. But I mean, for some people, like as for a male like me, it's not as easy to pick up my phone and call, you know, my friend on on top of my contact list or my friend at the bottom of my contact list and be like, I'm going through this. Can you do this? You know what I mean? It's, for me, it's easy to just isolate myself. So I think in that sense, for me, it was helpful because I would isolate myself as a coping mechanism. But then in that isolation, I knew I couldn't stay in isolation for long because being in isolation too long, you then start to just put yourself in a vicious cycle. So like sometimes company doesn't need to be spoken company sometimes someone just needs to sit next to you so that for me was what was would be the best advice sometimes just just be there don't you don't really have to always you know be patronizing or saying something or are you okay are you okay every day and honestly I can call up my doctors and say I, I feel like I've got a pain in my leg and he'll go back to me and be like but how's your mental health do you know what I mean and it's sometimes it's not always you want to be talking about your mental health or be reminded of your mental health sometimes you want to just get away from that and just just, have, just enjoy yourself. There were a lot of things I missed out on when I was in hospital. So I just want to enjoy myself now. And, yeah. That point around just being with someone and not it not necessarily needing to be 
hugely active is such an important one I think for people in life generally you know learning to just be with one another it, sh- it should be the simplest thing but it can be tough and Antonio I'm interested was there a, a, a kind of particular turning point in your journey that that sort of springs to mind in terms of you know where you turned a corner? Yeah there are two definite um, points that I can think of the first point was and this is where I say where I always remind myself I was seen as this hard working and driven individual. So I, w- I woke up one day and I just questioned myself. I looked around my room because I remember putting things on my um, posters on my, in my on my wall, which were basically my ambitions and my goals before anything um, had gotten to the state uh, to the point I was in. And I had like an education goal. So on my wall, I'd have like university, my degree. These are things I wanted to achieve. Then career, I'd have like where I'd want to work and then lifestyle um, goals that I would have. And one day I just woke up and I really looked at this and I sat looking at it and I thought, but what am I doing right now to be getting closer to that? Because it's all well and nice. I know I'm going through something difficult that I'm trying to manage and cope. But what is just sitting here complaining and letting other people sort of lead what kind of path I need to follow? So in that sense, I mean, as in, you know, I'm being told, to limit myself and how what I do because you never know what your mental health could come out of it and you know what I mean it was always that that um that bubble of mental health around anything and everything I wanted to do it was like but what about your mental health there was one point I wanted to go on what's called um the challenge which is from the National Citizen Service it's a like a, a program three-week program you have one residential and one non-residential week and I remember speaking to my um psychiatrist about it and she was like Oh, what about your mental health? What if something happens on your, about your mental health when you're there? And, and you know, so much panic. And I'm just there and I'm looking at her and I've, I've got my hands in my face and I'm like, oh my God, can you just let me go and we'll see? Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, it was always that bubble around mental health. But you can't do this because your mental health. How's your mental health? Even going to get jobs and interviews, I was asked, oh, but is your mental health going to affect your ability? And I would say, of course, it'll affect my ability. It doesn't mean I'm not going to stop working hard to still achieve the goal. So, it's just something that dad said to me look i need to stop using this mental health thing as a as a, a limit a limiter to me like i'm going to tell myself push myself challenge myself the same way i challenged my whole experience to get to where i am i've told myself i'm just going to push myself and challenge myself because what's the worst that could happen anything in any situation i always tell myself it could be worse it could be a lot worse mm-hmm. and if i've come from the worst there's nothing here now that's going to tell me i'm in the worst place now so that was the first turning point and the second turning point was obviously just my surroundings and yeah my surroundings that's that's a big factor I mean the things I was doing at the time the thing the people I was around I wasn't doing anything productive I, I was out of education for a long time I was out of work for a long time and these things just have a play a role in, in your life as well because I mean now that I've started doing something there's things like my friends will all tell me you know what, I want to look for a job in a mental health place because you inspired me. You know what, I spoke to my friend and I thought of mental health and I thought of Antonio and I thought, you know what I mean? And these things come into place and it's like people see me doing going forward in my life and they're like, you know, no, I want to be like Antonio, I can't keep doing this. He's moved on with his life. Why can't all of us? And, you know, why can't we do what he's doing? That's the main thing I say as well. Like, just because I've done it doesn't mean it's impossible for everyone else to do it. So those were my two turning points. It was reminding myself of my goals and my ambitions and to the surroundings I was putting myself in. Stephen, there's something that's concerning me that I'd like to hear your thoughts on and 
you know, we talked a bit earlier about mental health during COVID, um, which obviously we're still going through. The thing that concerns me is the, the fact that as we come through the other end of the, the pandemic, people will think, oh, well, that's done then. That's finished. We'll move on. But actually, the mental health uh, impacts that people are feeling will continue, in my view anyway, and I'm interested to hear yours, for years. And so the need for mental health awareness and mental health support uh, is not going to decline. I, I'm interested to hear your views on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I think if we, we sort of rewind the clock a little bit to sort of 2007 and 2008 and the, the kind of financial crash and recession that happened around that time, what mine saw then was a little bit of a long tail when it came to mental health impact, that we didn't see the sort of real sort of impact on, on, on mental health until a year, two years, three years down the line, when perhaps you know, the recession was at its deepest, people had lost their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So we're kind of expecting a little bit of that this time as well. That was, you know, we're obviously now in a in a recession. The economy's taking a bit of a hit. So we're expecting to see sort of, you know, poor mental health in in relation to uh, lack of money, lack of jobs, worry about debt, that kind of thing. We're expecting to see that increase over the next period. I think as well that we're, it's going to take quite a little bit of time to 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 sort of unpick where we've been for the last few months. And I don't want to sort of use the phrase too casually but I, I think as a population we're, we're probably feeling pretty traumatized at the minute um, and it's not quite clear how that's going to work out over uh, the next few months we, we've got a little bit of an indication in some of the sort of formal reporting on on the nation's well-being that's been going on the ONS are reporting an increase in the number of adults who are reporting um, symptoms of depression and anxiety for example there's the there's the research that mind have done over the summer that indicates people's mental health has worsened uh, during COVID. I, I think as well, what's also worth bearing in mind is that there are, um, it's been really hard to access services for lots of people over the last few months. And one of the things that is really important we don't lose sight of is uh, if we're going to be in another pandemic or whether or not you know, lockdown and restrictions are going to be in place for a period of time to come, that community mental health services are much more accessible to people who need them when they need them. We think that's been quite a barrier over the last few months that people just don't aren't able to access the support that they're used to in quite the same way and that's been very difficult for many people i agree that's uh I, I completely agree and and i think that as i said i'm just concerned that it's dangerous that people will think it's a, it's finished you know it's done let's move on when actually the effects as i said i think will linger for for years yeah it, it's really interesting one of the things that i've, I've picked up is how central mental health has been to some of the commentary around COVID and around lockdown. That people, yes, they talk about the economy, they talk about jobs and, and, and those things are incredibly important. But people are giving mental health equal weight in those kind of public debates, recognising that lockdown does have an impact on people. Uh, and that needs to be addressed and, and thought through as well. So I, I think we're a little bit of a, an interesting point in the debate. It's, you know, it's it's part of mine's job to keep reminding the powers that be that that people's mental health isn't going to go away, uh, that there is potentially sort of medium and longer term sort of issues that, that need to be fixed. Uh, and we'll we'll keep banging that drum as best we can. Thank you. Yeah. And it's I, th I think for me, it's one of the positives of, you know, of, of a terrible you know situation, a terrible year 
is actually that the conversation on mental health and well-being has has truly become mainstream. I think everybody has experienced personal mental health difficulties over the course of this this past year. And, and you know, it, you, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who would say that they haven't found life overwhelming at some point or the stresses of of not being able to, you know, to kind of get get on with their their ordinary, ordinary life has um, has really kind of come home for everybody, really, in in big ways or small ways. So it has given us an opportunity to to have that kind of conversation of of kind of how are you doing how how are you really um in a much more authentic way this year and kind of created more space and permission for people to to talk about um how they're really feeling so I think that's you know kind of one of the positives in in this in this whole situation it doesn't mean that the stigma doesn't go away and that i think you know particularly for young people and as we've talked about for you know for men in particular that there are lots of barriers to to having that open and frank conversation but certainly kind of what's what's going on in the world has has made it um you know a more open space than than it's ever been before yeah it, it it's it's fascinating it's given and, and you know we've spoken about men's mental health a little bit throughout the, the conversation I, i've seen that it's given men a kind of an acceptable frame of reference to talk about feelings that they they know other people will be having you know you know the the stress of having to look after kids and hold down a job you know the the the, the worries about you know maintaining your job the, the pressures have been asked not to go outside maybe the worries you've got about looking after older parents or things like that. It has given sort of a little bit of a a common framework of feelings that people can work with and relate to very straightforwardly. It's, it's been really interesting to see that work through. I think, you know, this kind of concept of resilience has been also very much kind of out there over the past year. I think, you know, we've seen people talking not just about the stresses that they're dealing with, but also some of the steps that they're taking to try and kind of protect themselves and to kind of replenish their energy and their and their well-being through through these circumstances. I wondered if we could talk to you both about some of the things that you do to shift your mood, to kind of get yourself to a good place when you're dealing with things. Could you share a top tip that you that you have? And perhaps if I start with you, Stephen? Yeah, the, the, there's a few things that sort of I, I, I turn to. And I think partly for me, it's a little bit about setting sort of small short term goals to keep me moving forward. And, and during lockdown, those, those goals haven't been things like try and get a nice holiday in this, this summer. So that's been a bit more mundane, like that front door needs painting. So set aside some time and achieve that. So it, there's a little bit for me about goals that can sort of keep me on track, give me a focus. Perhaps that's something practical, you know, a bit of a DIY job or a bit of a gardening job. That that really helps sort of take my mind out of me and onto a back out into the world a little bit. I think as well, holding to sort of the idea of, you know, this too will pass. You know, no matter how how I might be feeling today, how impossible things are, how stressed they might be, chances are I won't feel quite this way again tomorrow or maybe next week. So I think that is something that I try and hold to as well. But for me, I, I need to bear in mind as well that that can be a little bit of a passive place. So I, I do try and balance that with 
what can I change? What can I do? Are there things I could look at that would help to shift the situation rather than just waiting for the situation to shift? So it's a mixture really for me of doing things which are practical, which are a bit goal oriented, trying to hold on to the idea that things things won't always feel like this for me, but but also as well, looking for things which I can do to adapt and change in the moment as well. Yeah, I really like that. I'm a I'm a big believer in the kind of transferred satisfaction of of doing something that is unrelated to the thing that I'm worrying about. So I will go off and tidy up or go and make a meal or something like that, that, you know, actually can make me sort of feel like, well, I've done something constructive, even if I've still got the same problem that I'm dealing with. What about you, Antonio? Yeah, um, I think I've got a few tips as well. I mean, the main tip for, for, for me would be um, just being productive and keeping busy. In that sense, obviously, I have to be a bit careful to not overwhelm myself with them. Um, so much work but I guess what I try to do then is I mean these are tips that I've learned through my mental health through like CBT is one of the things I do is if if I'm going to wake up one morning I know I have this to do I'll write little notes of what I need to complete and as I do them I'll tick them off so at the end of the night I'll tell myself this has been done this has been done this has been done because I think as humans and with our selective attention we tend to give more focus to what's going on negative in our lives and forget to appreciate what is positive in our lives. So again, with that is another trick is just, I guess, I try to remind myself of the things I can be grateful. So in that sense, maybe the amount of time, so I told myself every time I pull up my phone and I pull it out a lot of times, I'll tell you that. Every time I pull up my phone, I'll tell myself, I'll tell myself something to be grateful for. So every time I look for a text message that I receive, I'll tell myself, okay, you know what? At least I can look at my phone right now. So even if it's something small like that, but just things to prompt myself and give myself cues and why I should be so much more appreciative and grateful for what's going on. And as well, maybe just sometimes I look back at my old um, notes um, from my care plan when I was in hospital and I tell myself, look at the journey you've come from to where you are now. So a lot of it is just, I guess, reminding myself of the place I'm in now compared to where I was a minute ago, along with feeling purposeful for being productive. And yeah, I mean, that is, and if it gets too overwhelming, sometimes just take a thoughtful walk. That's the simplest option. I love that. And yeah, that kind of that's a, a real skill that if you've trained yourself to be almost like kind of micro bits of positivity, micro bits of, of kind of gratitude on an ongoing basis. That's an that's an amazing tip to tip to have. Clearly, in your different roles, you're very resilient. Antonio, just listening to you shining example of resilience and, and Stephen obviously you have to be in the work that you're doing to support people through mind so what would you say each of you with with you Stephen what would you say is your resilience superpower oh <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not sure if I see resilience as a superpower I think I see it more like a muscle or fitness that you've got to work at it you've got to train it and then hopefully it will be there when you need it so that I think there are things that, that I try and do that help kind of maintain that kind of resilience fitness. So for me, those are things like watching what I eat and drink, uh, making sure I get enough sleep, making sure I get a little bit of uh, some quiet time in every so often. Those are the kind of things that, that kind of give me my foundation of resilience. I think, I think on top of that, particularly when it comes to work stuff, trying to be clear on your boundaries, what you can do, what you can't do, that that's really important. And then sort of 
finding things in life that are enjoyable for me. So spending time outside, lovely clear skies, getting a little bit of fresh air, spending time with friends. Those are all the things that kind of, you know, top up my resilience jar, so to speak. I think that's fantastic. And such good advice and good tips for everyone, sort of really things that, that we can all do. And I do particularly like your your idea of it being a muscle that you've got to exercise. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. So I think that's terrific. Thank you, Stephen. Antonio, do you have a resilient superpower or what would you say it is? Yeah, uh, I have a few, actually. But first, I want to touch on, i go off what um, Stephen said about the muscle. So I guess as well with that is, I find that my resilience or resilience superpower in terms of exercising would be so I like to research a lot of things so I might find or hear something interesting that I don't know of and straight away I'll go and research it because I don't like the idea of just knowing some knowing of something and not knowing what it actually is so I tend to find myself opening a lot of tabs on my phone with just things I've heard and trying to find out more about it so for me that's one thing just research and that in that sense is I guess exercising my mind in terms of um, expanding my knowledge on things and then the other thing I would say is just I use like real superpowers from actual super um super um heroes so for example one of them for me would be um Spider-Man so Spider-Man when he's um fighting in in a movie in a in one of his um movies he says above all no matter how many times you get hit make sure you get back up so that to me I always put it into perspective with my own sort of sense and well and well-being so I always tell myself no matter what comes at me no matter how many times I get hit just tell yourself to get back up and then again with that the third thing I would say is just with great ability comes accountability so my ability would be the drive I have to change the narrative of mental health those three things are my resilient superpower I think that's fantastic thank you so much Antonio and thank you Stephen it's just been uh, such a pleasure and actually a privilege to be able to listen to you both, to hear your experiences and your stories, and particularly to hear your messages and and tips, if I can put it that way, that would help us all, I think, be a bit more resilient and a bit more understanding of ourselves and others in the field of mental health. So thank you both so much for joining us today. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing the future and working continually with MIND, Stephen. Um, and seeing seeing your future, Antonio, as you uh, pursue your career. It's fantastic. Thank you very much.